When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the magnificent Monday edition of The Yard. And this Monday, even more magnificent than most. We have so much to celebrate today. It's been a great weekend in Bulldog Athletics. We've got football news, we've got baseball news, and of course, men's and women's basketball news. You know, it's one of those deals, too, all year long we kept thinking, can we make it, can we make it, can we made it, we did it, we made it. And you go back to the beginning of the year on the men's basketball side, there were a handful of folks who said, hey, this team's capable of making a tournament just kind of based on the parity in the league this year. And then we open up 1-7 and seven in SEC play, and we start thinking, okay, we're just going to kind of have to endure this. And lo and behold, Chris Jans and the staff, a great group of young men, get us an NCAA tournament berth. On the women's side, I think, uh, you know, Sam Purcell may have had a few other pieces to play with. So the expectation was to make the dance. We made it. Now, we're in two play-in games, and I've read some people like, oh, we're not getting respected. Guys, the way you get respects to win. Period. You win games. We lost some games down the stretch that we shouldn't have. On both sides, we drive some games we shouldn't. I still think about both of those Georgia games. But my point being is that respect is earned. I'm just happy to be in the dance. And the fact that both teams are in gives us a lot to cheer for. And again, when you start thinking about what it means for this academic athletic year, it's very significant. I did the research today. It took me, I don't know, 10 minutes. There are only three teams in the SEC that made both the men's tournament, the women's tournament, and won a bowl game. Your Bulldogs won of those three. Alabama, Mississippi State, Tennessee. The only three teams in this prestigious league that can make that claim. So pat on the back to everybody involved with that. And you know what a tumultuous stretch run it was for football? We ended up on a positive note there and uh, starting to get some good news on a recruiting trail. You guys are well aware of Josh Flowers committed, what a big deal that was. State has now added offensive lineman T.J. Lockhart from Winona Secondary School over there in Winona, Mississippi. 6'6", 365 pounds. He is a homegrown guy, obviously, from just down the road. Offers from Arkansas State, Louisiana. He's a guy, too, that was expected to pick up some big offers in the spring evaluation period. I think in the end he would have been a bulldog. Of course, Fat Clark. Uh, one of my favorite players in the class currently committed to Ole Miss, so maybe TJ can work on him and we can get, uh, you know, Fat flipped. The thing about Fat, I like him. I'm not exactly sure what he is, though. Is he going to have the foot speed to play linebacker when he gets in the college weight room? He doesn't have the length to be in. Do you bulk him up and make him a three-tack? I mean, he's a bit of a tweener. But the guy's a great football player, and I would love for him to be a Bulldog, and he's chosen to be a Rebel. And, uh, hey, good luck with that. Hope you lose every Egg Bowl, but I hope you get a college degree and meet your wife and go on to a very prosperous life. But uh, T.J. Lockhart, it's, again, State, you know, needing bigger guys, but, we, you know, it's the change in offensive philosophy 
you're going to need some guys that can be road graders. You're going to need some guys with some length that also have some girth that can kind of push people around. If you watch T.J. Lockhart's video, I think you see it's exactly what he's got. We've had a new addition to our staff over at jeanspage.com, former Mississippi State recruiting specialist, Neil Stopchinski. He's now on staff. He's uh, written a few scouting reports for us. Just recently wrote one on, uh, on Flowers. Working on T.J. Lockhart now. You can read his VIP report. It's called the Stop Report. You know, Stop Chinsky. It's a play on words there. Stop Report, Stop Report. Be sure and check it out. He kind of breaks it down for you in depth. And this, again, this is not just a fan. This is not just, uh, you know, Joe Internet message board guy. This is a guy that broke down film and wrote scouting evaluations at Northwestern for Coach Fitzgerald and then for your Bulldogs under Coach Dan Mullen. So this is a guy that knows what he's doing. So the fact that we could get him to write some quality content for us over Gene's page is a bit of a coup for your good friend and host. But also, too, it's like I've been writing those scouting reports, and you know I, I can kind of write them in layman's terms, but I think, hey, how do we add value to this? Well, let's go out and get a guy that's done it on the college level, right? So maybe you're unfamiliar with Neil's work, but you need to get familiar with Neil's work because of the fact this is going to, number one, give you an in-depth evaluation kind of above what you've normally seen in the lens of what a college evaluator looks at, right? Those are the big things. But also, if note too, when we get ready to go defend a prospect and we get ready to go get a ranking for a kid, we got a little more ammunition to work with here. Because yeah, I'll, I'll submit to you this, that Neil Stubchinsky – and when it comes to the recruiting industry, there are few people in the industry that are going to have a more in-depth report about the prospects you care about than he. So come by and check out his work again at thegenespage.com. If you're not a member, you should be. We're always looking to improve. I mean, that's the, that's the thing that I think maybe people don't fully appreciate about me is that I'm always looking for a way to add more value to what we do, whether it be lengthening the boneyard, adding new features, adding new staff, trying new things. You know, we go out and cover road baseball. Nobody else does that. Matter of fact, Robbie's going to be in Lexington with us this weekend. My wife and I are going up. Robbie's coming up. So we're going to have a couple people there covering the ball games. And Robbie's taking a couple uh, road trips, met me there. But nobody else that covers Mississippi State does that. We're it. We take it very seriously. Go to every road football game, every home and away baseball games. What we do. I don't know who you're paying for information, but I can promise you they're not working harder than we are. But, uh, again, congratulations to T.J. Lockhart and his family. It's a very, very big deal, you know, for a young man to have an opportunity to get his college education paid for, a chance to play in a Southeastern Conference close to home. So it's a winning, winning situation for him. And so best of luck uh, to him. Let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. Uh, listen, uh, if you're in town Tuesday night, you're like, hey, I want to go watch the game, be around some Bulldogs, go to Bulldog Burger Company. Any of their three locations will have the game on for you. You can have an adult beverage. Be sure and check that out. Go by and have a great meal with friends or family. You'll be glad you did. You can watch a game. There's nothing. If you can't be there, if you can't make a trip to Dayton, and it's kind of a last-minute deal, right? But if you want to congregate with other people and just kind of enjoy the game at a bit of a watch party, go to Bulldog Burger Company. Have that great restaurant-quality hamburger. Get the spring rolls as your appetizer. Have an adult beverage. Get a chocolate shake to go. Mix it up, man. Go in there and get after it. And reminder, too, 
And uh, you may recall this. We uh, we talked about this in the last couple of shows. As uh, you know, new stuff is kind of popping up here. Um, interestingly enough, <laughs> Ross Highfield, despite the fact that he hit three home runs in a game, was not the SEC freshman of the week. Charlie Condon from Georgia and Jared Jones from LSU were the co-freshman of the week. So whatever, whatever. Uh, but yeah, the uh, the takeover taps. That's something again. It's a new feature that you're going to be able to get at Bulldog Burger Company. And just a reminder, the 22nd, coming up in Tupelo, is a tap takeover uh, with the Memphis Made Brewing Company. Be sure and check them out. That's going to be 5 to 8. Andy from the Memphis Made Brewing Company will be on site at Bulldog Burger Company in Tupelo. They'll have some free gifts, and you get to sample some of their selections. Uh, Kind of a cool thing. Be sure and turn out. Go ahead. Again, make plans. That's a 22nd in Tupelo at Bulldog Burger Company. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Star Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo and Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. Be sure and go check them out today. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right. So Joe Lenardi had us as one of the, first, the last four buys. It didn't work out. And, you know, I, 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 if you're like me, I'm like, you know what? I don't even care about being in a play-in game. I just, I just wanted to be back in the tournament. And you say, well, Steve, technically, no, there's no technical. You, you got picked. You're in the tournament. You're not in the NIT. You still have a chance to play for a championship. Now, we're not a championship caliber team. We know this. But, man, what a great step forward for Mississippi State men's basketball. I mean, how many times the last couple of years have you said, hey, we have a tournament team. We have the talent to get there. And we didn't. And this isn't one of our more talented teams. And, and I mean that with as much respect as I possibly can. For these young men that are out there, you know, sweating and bleeding for the maroon and white. But this is not a specially talented team. I mean, it's kind of like it's Tolu Smith and then somebody else, right? Tolu may be the only guy on our team that could consistently, you know, contribute in most other SEC teams. Not named LSU because, of course, they had to, you know, flip the roster. But it's usually like you never know who the secondary scorer is going to be. One game, it's Rams Davis. The next game, it's uh, it's DJ Jeffries. You know, then one game, it's Cam Matthews. I mean, you just never know. Shaquille Moore. We haven't had a consistent second score throughout the year. And the fact that this team is in the tournament is a testament to the grit and the guts of this team and the coaching acumen of Chris Jans. And if I had told you this time last year, Mississippi State's going to be in a tournament next year. You probably wouldn't have believed it. But here we are. And so Tuesday at 8.10 p.m., I will be in Bluxy. We're going to talk about that later in the show. Bulldogs will take on Pitt. Now, Pitt's a team, too. It was you know, a bubble team just like us, so it makes sense that the caliber team we're going to play. I think we're good. And I've seen uh, some spreads that have stayed as a slight favorite in the game. You know, Jeff Capel, of course, uh, of ACC basketball fame, did a great job as a player, uh, now working as a coach. But, uh, yeah, Mississippi State, one of eight SEC teams to make the field. In, in case you were unaware, uh, let me give you just a quick, 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 quick rundown here. Uh, Alabama, Tennessee, Kentucky, Texas A&M, Missouri, Arkansas, Auburn, and then Mississippi State. Vanderbilt did not make the field, and some people are upset about that. I said, go look at the net. State nearly, what, 30 spots ahead of them. I think State was 48. Vandy was around 81. Well, not, not good. 
Jerry. I mean, a great run down and stretch. You go out there and you beat Kentucky twice. I, I can't knock the hustle. You got to schedule better in a non-conference. All right, let's take a quick look at Pitt here. Uh, who, who had us play in the Pitt Panthers earlier this year, right? And Jeff Capel. All right, so uh, Pitt, Pitt 22 and 11 on the year, 14 and 6 in their conference, 14 and 3 at home, 7 and 5 in true road games, and 1 and 3 on a neutral floor. So, you know, an 8 and 8 record and games away from their home venue. So, you know, that's not bad. I mean, so they'll be prepared and ready to go for sure. And kind of looking at the, uh, you know, the deal here, you know, this thing's kind of set up, you know, Tennessee Martin, uh, they beat those guys. They lose to West Virginia in Pittsburgh. I mean, and absolutely get blown out 25 points. Michigan blows them out. Virginia Commonwealth beats them at the Barclays center. They beat Alabama state. They beat uh, fairly Dickinson. Fairly well. They beat Bill and Mary 80-64. They beat Northwestern to absolute death in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Beat those guys uh, 29 points. They go on the road and they beat NC State. And then they lose a one-point game to Vanderbilt. We just talked about them. How about that? They get Sacred Heart. They get North Florida. They beat Syracuse by two in the Carrier Dome. They get North Carolina, and you may have read to North Carolina, the first ever preseason number one team to not play in the postseason. Did, did not make the big dance and then elected to bypass on the NIT, and people would say, well, you know, Steve, we had higher expectations. Maybe, maybe you did. I think it's disrespectful. Maybe I'm wrong. I think it's, it's one thing if you were going through a coaching change, and I, I kind of get that. I don't understand, you know, when you've – your players have won the opportunity to compete, even if it's not in a big dance. Why deny them that opportunity? And it's why you know the players voted. You know, maybe so. You're disappointed you didn't make the tournament. But uh, again, win games, win games. Pitt then beats Virginia in Pitt, 68-65. Virginia ranked 11th at the time. They didn't lose to Clemson uh, by one. They lose to Duke, and you know Duke's kind of figuring some things out here. Lose by Duke and Durham by eight. They take down Georgia Tech. John Passner recently fired the Georgia Tech. 21-point win at Louisville. They lose to Florida State at home and then beat Wake Forest 81-79. They get Miami 71-68, and, th- and that's a quality win. It is. They go to North Carolina, and they beat UNC down there. And it's like you start looking at this. I mean, North Carolina, you lose both games to Pitt. What are you complaining about? Misses a team in the play-in game. And, and you get swept by them. They go into Chapel Hill and beat you by one. Rough. Pitt then, then bounces Louisville 91-57. They win at Florida State. They take down Boston College. They, win at, they lose to Virginia Tech. Uh, end up sweeping Georgia Tech. They, they get sweep Syracuse. You know, done, and it's a new era now, it's Syracuse. Uh, they lose to Notre Dame by seven, and then they go to Miami and lose by two. So you see a lot of these games, even in losses, very, very competitive. This is going to be a very scrappy pit team. I haven't watched. Let's face it, friends. We live in uncertain times. Security, probably more important now than ever before. That's why it's important to keep you, your family, your property safe by working with my friends at Eufy. That's E-U-F-Y dot com. Let me tell you a little bit about this new video smart lock they have. It's super cool because basically you get 
a three-in-one security system here. You can have everything on just one device instead of having it outside of your house look rather tacky because you got all kinds of stuff out there. It's not just about your security, but convenience. No more concerns about losing keys. You can assign passwords to your family members, and you can see who's kind of coming and going. you got that immigrated camera, too. Uh, it's easy to install. You can set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. You know, you don't have to go to a class on how to use power tools. No drilling required. You get keyless entry. You don't have to worry about fumbling with the keys when you're getting back with a, an armful of groceries, right? How convenient is that? That in and of itself is a great benefit. You get fingerprint recognition. It's unlocking. You have that AI self-learning chip. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You don't have to worry about the battery. It's got a rechargeable battery that can last around four months. And you get a notification before it runs out, so you don't have to compromise your family security. You got passcode unlocking, remote control, 2K clear sight camera. You can see who's at your door. You see these videos online all the time. Don't you think it's time for you to set something up so you can have the peace of mind of knowing that you don't have people constantly going in and out of your property? There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee, you can have your recordings locally and never have to pay for storage. How cool is that? It's convenient, it's safe, it's a must-have for your home today. If you already have like a video doorbell, you know sometimes people want to come and steal your, your doorbell. You don't have to worry about with, that with this. All right, so let's be sure to visit Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y official.com forward slash video lock. And it's time for you to gain control of your door. Again, that's Eufy. E-U-F-Y. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Play. I'll be honest with you. Maybe some other people have. They'll let you know. Uh, they get Georgia Tech in the tournament 89-81 and, and then get absolutely destroyed by Duke 96-69. And then they'll, they'll play us. This is going to be a quality opponent. Nobody playing this time of year in the tournament is not going to bring a good effort. And the Panthers certainly will. And again, I, I, the thing that I always look at and you think about, like especially in conference play, it's one thing in non-conference play before you're finding an identity and getting a sense of yourself. But when you get into conference play, you know, you're playing your contemporaries, you're playing teams that share your recruiting footprint more times than not, and you look at the losses. And it was, it's a rarity to see Pitt lose a game by more than single digits in conference play. Usually when there is a blowout, they've been on the other end of it. They've been the ones doing the hammer rather than being the nail. So I expect them to be ready to go. Let's take a quick look inside the numbers here, kind of see who do we need to be aware of. That 8-8 eight and eight record away from their home arena is something that really stands out to me. All right, they're averaging 76.1 points a game. They're giving them 70. So maybe not a premier defensive team. But uh, scoring margin of 5.6 points a game. And, again, it, it kind of goes back to what we're just talking about. kind of illustrates the point. Win or lose, more times than not, they're in the game. Either they're hammering somebody or it's a competitive game. So I, I expect a very close ball game. 
Shooting 45% from the field, giving up 42 and a half. Three-pointer, 36%. Opponents shooting 33. They're making nine three-pointers a game. We got to defend the perimeter against these guys. We absolutely have to. They're, they're allowing eight, but it really doesn't matter what opponents allow because we, we have struggled, even with wide-open looks, to knock down three-point baskets. But this is a team that makes some, makes some things happen from beyond the arc. 76% free throw shooting for them. Uh, so their team, obviously, they can step up and, uh, you know, you foul them. They can convert more times than not. Rebounding has been a strength for them in many respects. Turnovers, an issue at times. Turning over about as much as they're forcing. It's a, it's a seven turnover differential in favor of the opponents. So they're forcing, uh, they're turning it over 11.2, and their opponents are turning it over 11.4. It's always interesting. So it's a point two differential there. Not turning over quite as much, but it's basically the same thing. They're turning defense into offense, averaging nearly 14 points a game off turnovers. Blocks have not been a real strong suit. They're averaging about five a game. It's about what you'd expect. When you look at a team that's 22-11, and 11, playing in a play-in game, they're not going to have gaudy stats, right? I mean, you're not going to have, you know, just blowing people away. There will be a familiar face. Blake Henson, you may recall him, played at Ole Miss. Basically got run off. You know, I mean, again, you never know, you know, what's true and what's not based on the media reports of Ole Miss folks. But Blake Henson leaves and goes to Pitt and has seen his career be reborn, having an outstanding year for Coach Capel and the Panthers. Has attempted 237 three-point baskets this year. That is, what, goodness, 60, almost 60 more than the second-place guy. So Blake Henson averaging uh, 31 minutes a game and averaging 15.6 points per game. Jamarius Burden also 15.6. But uh, but Henson's kind of the show, man. I mean, you look at the numbers here. I mean, 17 blocks, which leads – which second on the team, excuse me. Uh, Federico, Federico leads the team with 57. But uh, who, who thought we'd see Blake Henson again? Well, here we are. We ought to be somewhat familiar with him, right? At least some of our players would be, even though we've turned the roster over, it seems like, 20 times since then. But uh, Henson has played in all 33 games. Started 32 of them. Shooting 38.4% from beyond the arc. And you remember what a matchup nightmare he was for us before because he's so long and physical. He can do a lot of things. And then he can spot up and shoot from three. So it's really the I mean, you got to shut him down. You got to make somebody else beat you. They have four players averaging double figures in scoring. We mentioned Burton and Henson, but Nellie Cummings, 11 points a game. Greg Elliott, 10.4 points a game. So it's a pretty balanced offense. I mean, they're scoring from really all five spots on the floor. And we talked about Federico, Federico. I can't wait to see this guy. Uh, Federico, Federico, 27 starts for him. So he is a regular in the lineup. Let's, let's go and learn a little more about Federico. It's so fun. Federico, Federico is from Helsinki, Finland by way of First Love Academy in Pennsylvania. Sophomore, 6'11", 220 pounds. I'm a fan. But 806 minutes for him. And uh, so even though he hadn't started every game, he's getting starter quality minutes. But he started most games, 27 on 33. 
But this is a guy, too. Of course, he's taking high-percentage shots, shooting almost 67%. Averaging just 5.6 points a game, so you know they're not running any offense to him. He's basically a rim protector and a rebounder. And uh, he's done a pretty good job, 186 boards, which is second on the team only to Blake Henson. So it's the Blake Henson show up there for the Pitt Panthers. We've got to figure that out for sure. But uh, in case you're interested, and I believe you will be, just because of the fact you're listening to the show, you love Mississippi State sports, it's going to be, again, an 810 tip. It's on True TV. Not going to be on your ESPN app, right? It's not. So it's True TV. Go ahead and get the listing figured out today. So tomorrow night, you're not tweeting at me and everybody else. Hey, what channel's the game on? It's True TV. T-R-U-T-V. Take some personal accountability. I love you, and I'm giving you some tough love here. Find out where True TV is. And that's usually where you can watch the Impractical Jokers and all that kind of stuff. So it should be easy for you to find. But True TV, 810 tip in Dayton, Ohio, as the Bulldogs take on Pittsburgh. And then the winner of that game will be the outright number 11 seed. And uh, let's take a quick look at, the, at our side of the bracket if we can. Isn't it fun to say that, right? So in the event that we win... And I, I expect to, but I, th- I think it's going to be a game that probably goes down to the last shot. If we win, then we'll take on uh, on St. Patty's Day in Greensboro, North Carolina. Sounds like a lucky location. We'll take on Iowa State. And uh, that'll be the uh, Shane Power Bowl. And so in the event that we're able to advance beyond that, and that's two wins in, t- in a week for us. And turn around and we'd play the winner of Xavier in Kennesaw State. I expect Xavier. And uh, we owe those guys a few knots, right? They had some good games against those guys when they had Chalmers. Man, they were a great team, really were. But uh, I, th- I-, I like the draw. I do. It's, you look at this and you start thinking, okay, yeah, it's one game at a time. But you start looking at this bracket and you think, you know, hey, we could get out of the first weekend. We could. We absolutely could. But uh, happy to be here. Uh, and But since we're here, let's go win a game or two, right? I mean, it's not just about hanging another banner and say, hey, we made the tournament. It's very difficult to do that. It is. It's one of the more difficult things to do in sport. It is. I don't think people fully appreciate that. Uh, but we're back in. And so let's go take care of Pitt. And then we'll go size up Iowa State. We'll just kind of see how the chips fall after that. But uh, congratulations to Chris Jans, everybody involved with Mississippi State men's basketball. You did it. But again, let's continue to add to the story. We know what everybody's going to do, right? They're just going to turn this loose on the perimeter. They're going to pound the paint. They're going to crowd Tolu. They're going to cut off the lane. They're not going to let us drive. They're going to make us shoot the perimeter jumper. Well, let's make some of them, right? Very, very excited about this development. And uh, when we this time last year, when we were all talking about, you know, Ben Howland needed to go and we needed to take a change. And uh, here we are, one year removed from Ben Howland's ouster, and we're back in the NCAA tournament, which is what we hired him to do. And you go out and you get a guy from New Mexico State coming here in uh, year one with, you know, kind of a thrown together roster has got you back in the tournament. Mississippi State can win in men's basketball. I don't subscribe to this notion that we can't be good in everything. I, I, I don't. I don't. I understand you, know, you got to allocate certain resources, and there's only so many dollars to go around, but I do not subscribe that Mississippi State can't be successful in everything. Not to mention our history in basketball. You know, granted, we're not Kentucky. I'm not trying to suggest that. 
But we've had some good years. Like to have some consistency. You know, that was the big thing on Rick when Stansberry was here and he recently uh, uh, resigned at Western Kentucky is Rick couldn't get out of the first weekend of the dance. And it's like, at least we made it. You know, sometimes, too, our non-conference schedule was so incredibly poor. And we went a bunch of games, ended up in the NIT, and we wondered why. It's because we didn't play anybody, right? This year we played some people. I mean, and listen, non-conference schedule wasn't just absolutely loaded, but we had some, you know, some big wins. Marquette win especially looks good right now. But uh, excited about men's basketball, as we should be. And here we are, very, very excited to kind of move forward. All right, let's uh, get into today's top ten list. Uh, brought to you, as always, by CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. Blair, a, uh, a great friend of mine, a great friend of yours, and a friend of those in need. A lot of people out there that you know, maybe you've got mortgage troubles, maybe you need to get a mortgage, maybe you're unsure what's happening with your mortgage. Maybe you're in, you know, an adjustable rate mortgage. You need to get into a 30-year fixed. Blair has the answers to all your questions. Visit him at closeatblair.com or, better yet, I'll give you his personal cell number. You can text or call him today at 601-500-2344. Again, that's 601-500-2344. And uh, we've had some great testimonials from some Boneyard listeners that have worked with Blair. Not just the courtesy and the quality of service, but how quickly he gets things done. And when you've been in the industry as long as he has, you know how to get things done without cutting corners. You don't have to cut corners when you already know the way, right? There are a lot of people out there just trying to get it done. Oh, oh, we forgot this. No, no, Blair's a professional. 21 years in the industry, top 1% close ratio in the country, back-to-back years. Works for Fairway Mortgage, not some subprime, non-conforming lender. You know, it's just not that. It's not some subprime lender out there that's going to tack on a ton of fees. This guy's going to do you a professional job, and he's been doing it for a long time. Again, it's close to Blair.com. Let him know you heard about him on the boneyard. He's going to pay for your appraisal. Happy to do it. Wants to earn your business. He gives you a little incentive. It's about a $500 value. Again, it's close at Blair.com. Check him out today. All right. We were going to do – already last night I went to a show. I went down to uh, went down to Shuckers on the res. And uh, Steve Blaze and Brent Graham and Mike, my guys, and uh, Lillian Axe are part of a little side project called Sledgehammer, and they play like some classic rock tunes. So I was down there with my buddy Jeff Murrah, took the wife down there. We heard some uh, some Dio and some Rainbow and a bunch of Led Zeppelin. Had a guy come up to me and say, hey, listen, made a suggestion. I'm not going to tell you the name of the band, but he has a personal connection to a guy that was in the band. I told him we'd do it today, but we're not. We're going to do it on Wednesday. Roy had an idea for the day. I was like, yeah, that's perfect. We're doing a dancing list today. Since we're going dancing on the men's and women's side, we're going to celebrate dancing today. Okay, so these are some great songs that you're going to be happy with. And uh, in honor of both the men and the women making the big dance, we're going to have our dancing list. Now, I believe the guy's name is Tracy. I told him to hit me up on Facebook uh, to let me know for sure. But we'll get, Tracy, we'll get to your list on Wednesday. If I got your name wrong, correct me when you message me. All right. So we got a few honorable mentions today with so many great songs about dance and dance scene. I'm sure I'll leave one or two of them out. I left one or two of them out on purpose. But um, so going back, we always talk about we want to celebrate the music of Prince on the show. So it's Bad Dance. He wrote the entire motion picture soundtrack. It was great. Bad Dance wasn't a great song, even though it was a big hit. People were so excited about the movie. But Prince, Bad Dance. 
Uh, Dancing in the Dark from Bruce Springsteen, which was our first introduction to the lovely, talented Courtney Cox. She jumped up on stage in the video, and she danced with Bruce. And uh, we were so naive as kids, we thought it was like an organic thing. Obviously, it's scripted because you have a up-and-coming Hollywood actress that jumps up there. But Dancing in the Dark from um, Bruce Springsteen. I know some of you are going to say, Steve, how is this song not on the list? And I'm going to tell you why. I'm, I'm kind of protesting this. I want to dance with somebody from Whitney Houston. I'm giving her an honorable mention. It is a great song, but I am tired of hearing it at sporting events. I'm just going to lay it out there for you. You may disagree. Oh, it's a fun song. Guys, it, it, it's a good song. I'm not in, in Whitney Houston. It's not even, not even in my mind, in her estimation, her best song, right? But I'm still salty about the whole thing, about the girls, girls, girls thing. Molly Crew was number two and sold more records than Whitney Houston. And rather than Molly's girls, girls, girls being elevated to number one, they put gave it to Whitney Houston on Billboard. It was all political. And so I'm salty about it. Uh, I can live with whatever resentment I choose to. It is my life. So no, no, no Whitney Houston on the list. But uh, there are a couple tracks, too, that uh, maybe you're unfamiliar with. Maybe you've heard them and didn't know who sang them. They're both entitled Dancing in the Moonlight. And so there's a great song that we used to play when I was at WCJU. It was called uh, Dancing in the Moonlight from King Harvest. It's only about two minutes, 40-some seconds. It's a great tune. And uh, it's, it's about a relationship, right? It's a good relationship song. And then there's Dancing in the Moonlight from Thin Lizzy with that infectious bass line. Phil Lynott just laying it down. Great tune. If I had to pick between the two, I'm going with the Thin Lizzy version. But, uh, you know, we, we've actually had uh, Dance in the Moonlight by King Harvest as a walkout song from a Diamond Dog baseball player. How about that? That was Vance Tatum. Remember we changed his name to Moonlight Tatum or whatever? You know, wish I could do that. All right, your top ten dancing songs. And I'm gonna, some of these you can be like, Steve, how did this make it over Whitney Houston? I sit on my own objections and my own resentments. Number 10, and I wanted to include this one just because of my goofy sister-in-law. It's Men Without Hats. Because we can dance. We can dance. Everybody's doing the dance. It's safety dance. But uh, my wife has shared with us, me several times when, when they were growing up, my, her younger sister, Mandy, loved this song so much that she like wrote it on the wall of the hallway in the house. Safety dance. She loved it. Because we can dance if we want to. And if you don't dance, you know, friend of mine. So Men Without Hats making their debut, I believe. I don't think we've ever had them on. Maybe we've done them once before. But Men Without Hats, one-hit wonder from the 80s. Number nine, going back to the 70s. And yes, I picked the Bee Gees over Whitney Houston. You can learn to live with it. But it's You Should Be Dancing. The Bee Gees, You Should Be Dancing, number nine. It's from the Saturday Night Live soundtrack. Number eight. Every time I hear this song, I think of college basketball. Because I think every college pep band in the world plays this song. And if you're unfamiliar with the, the title, get familiar with the song. Because I guarantee you've heard it. I know we used to play it in Hump. It's Wilson Pickett's Land of a Thousand Dances. You've heard this song. You know you have. Number seven on our list. And this is one that, ones that Roy suggested. And I, I said, you know what? We don't do enough Billy Idol these days anyway. Going back to the beginning, it's dancing with myself. And uh, there are a lot of basketball teams around the country that are dancing with themselves. 
and some maybe even dancing with the devil when it comes to their coaching hires. But uh, Billy Idol, dancing with myself. Number six, you know that I'm true to the rock. I'm a defender of the faith from the denim jacketed army that used to gather at Bebop Record Shop. It was our scene. It was so cool to be back there at uh, Chuckers yesterday. I, was, I, I made a comment to Jeff Murrah. I said, I, I think I've met half the people in this building. And uh, it was great. Good to see my buddy Brian Jones and all the group down there, Melissa Kirksey, everybody. Uh, that's the one thing. When I go to shows down there, there's always a consistent group of people that I expect to see. And uh, saw many of them yesterday. But, uh, again, I am, uh, I am true to the rock always. And uh, give a shout-out to the homie Sam Denton, who may be the biggest rat fan that I know. It's the lead single off the album Dancing Undercover, which was the third full-length album from Rat. You know, the, the initial Rat EP. And then there was Out of the Cellar, Invasion of Your Privacy, and then Dancing Undercover. And so th- there's a really cool video, too. If you haven't seen it, go to YouTube and look at that Rat, R-A-T-T, Dance. It's like they're at the uh, Whiskey A Go-Go and they call them up by the crowd and they play a number. And it was so cool, man. I'm from the 1900s, you know, back when MTV played music. And I remember getting up in the morning, first thing you did, go turn it on, put on MTV. And uh, this was one of those songs, too, that kind of provided a little bit of energy. All right, number five, the classic. A lot of people have covered this. Nobody's done it better, but it's Martha and the Vandals. It's Dancing in the Streets. A classic song. Very talented group of young ladies, but uh, who knew all these years later we'd be celebrating this? Of course, uh, David Bowie, Mick Jagger covered it, kind of an awkward video between the two of them. And speaking of David Bowie, he is the writer and performer of our number four song. And I've always loved it. I've always thought the percussion on this was rather interesting. And there is also a little bit of force in the chorus, even though the, uh, the verses themselves are kind of laid back. But it's David Bowie's Let's Dance, your number four track today. Number three, the title of the song is actually going to make you sweat. But uh, for our purposes, it's Everybody Dance Now. And that's how it opens up with uh, Martha Wash singing that, of course. Uh, as I've shared with you guys before, uh, she was represented by a model in the video. So it made it appear that uh, this model was singing Martha Wash's part. And uh, Martha had a huge voice, as you know. They finally got it all straight. Everybody got properly compensated. But uh, CNC Music Factory, got to make you sweat. Everybody dance now. And people, those of you that weren't around when Michael Cole and David Clavellos put CNC Music Factory together, I don't think you understand. They went from nowhere to ruling the world, like everywhere you went. You heard this song and things that make you go, hmm. And, I mean, it's like Freedom Williams was everywhere. And everything they touched turned to gold. And, uh, again, if you didn't live through it, maybe you can't fully appreciate it. But um, that's back when your, your good friend and host was part of the dance scene. All right, number two. Every time I think about this, I remember being back at the Hard Rock. I saw Matt Caldwell and his wife this night. That We were down there at the uh, Hard Rock. And uh, Derek... Uh, Lefevre, former lead singer Lillian Axe, has a uh, band called ContraFlow. And they were playing the Hard Rock that night. They're in the uh, Circle Bar. I think that's what they call it. And uh, Derek did a great job on this. It's Dancing Night Away from Van Halen off Van Halen 2. Because you're old enough to dance. So let's dance Night Away. 
Looking forward to be back on the Mississippi Gulf Coast here in the next couple of days. Number one, though, it's uh, we're going to get the lead out. And uh, my boys in uh, Sledgehammer, I think, played a half dozen Led Zeppelin songs yesterday, including this one. And what could be more apropos for our situation? But it's Dancing Days, because Dancing Days are here again. I, I love the song. I love Robert Plant. Uh, my estimation of Led Zeppelin's greatest rock band of all time. You may disagree, and that's cool. You have the right to be wrong in America, even though they're a British band. But uh, I don't know that anybody wrote more influential songs. And, and, and that's the thing, too, about being in my generation, especially being from the 1900s. We kind of we got the end. Like, we got the end of the, of the Beatles. We got the end of Led Zeppelin. We still have the Rolling Stones, even now. Uh, but we got that. We got the end of disco and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, we had the 80s metal revolution. And we had the top 40 explosion with Michael Jackson and Prince, Madonna. We had grunge for 15 minutes or so. And uh, so I really believe, and I know everybody maybe believes this, but I believe that I was alive to some of the greatest times in music. And uh, I'm still alive today, and it's not a great time of music. And people are like, oh, but Steve, now get off of your reels, okay, and listen to some real albums. There's a lot of one-hit wonders out there. There are people you're listening to today that six years from now, you're not going to remember their names. But uh, when you think about, you know, the influential times in music, I've been a part of that. I mean, I'm, I've been, I've lived through it. We've been able to live through it, you know. And I, I, I've seen those shirts that says, you know, I may be getting old, but I got to see all the cool bands. I didn't get to see them all, but I got to see most of them. And so I'm very privileged in some respects to be born when I was born. I mean, to live through the 80s and, and that to be my teen years, you know, with all the great movies and all the things in social production that were so incredible. I'm very grateful. Very, very grateful. And uh, again, I think about all those great bands in the late 70s. And of course, my uncle Warren Selman was uh, you know, part of a band that did some local support back then, a group called Phoenix. And uh, so hearing him play, and hearing the things that he was into, I, I guess in some respects, kind of maybe matured my taste um, more so than many of my peers. You know, but anyway, nevertheless, uh, that's your top ten list for today. Again, we already have Wednesdays lined up. But if you have an idea for a future top ten list, reach out and let us know. The best way to do that is to find me or Roy on social media. I'm doing better about screenshotting them and sending them to Roy, even if for no other reason just so I have a reference tool that I can go back to. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We did have somebody request this. So uh, hit us up on social media. Your Roy, of course, is at Twitter, uh, at Dogmatic67, D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. And, of course, I'm on Twitter and all forms of social media, at Scout Steve R. Be sure and check us out. Let us know. And you can find our great list on Spotify, also at Dogmatic67. All right, next segment of the show is always brought to you by Campus Bookmark. Next time you're in town, go by and see their smiling faces, very neatly positioned on the backside of campus, very easy to get to. You pull in there, do your shopping. You go up, take a ride at the four-way stop, and next thing you know, you're passing through the dormitories and on your way to Mississippi State's historic athletic venues. If you can't make it to town, let me encourage you to visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, We'll give you a phrase that pays. That's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That gets you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks. Any order less than 75 bucks, absolutely incomplete. You need to outfit your family today with everything. 
and you can get all the greatest Mississippi State merchandise at the Bully Shop. It has been completely renovated. It's upstairs. Pretty easy to get to. No longer in the textbook business. Allowed them to expand their selection of Mississippi State merchandise. You won't find a better selection of Mississippi State merchandise in an all-universe. All right, so the Mississippi State women, they may get into a play-in game as well, and we're going to take on Illinois. I don't know if Illinois wants to see us coming. Illinois 22-9 on the year, 11-7 in their conference. They are 12-3 at home, 8-4 away, and 2-2 on a neutral floor. So 10-6 away from their home arena in Champaign, Illinois, the State Farm Center. Maybe you're familiar, maybe you're not. But uh, they opened up with a very, very light non-conference schedule. Of course, kind of breezed through that. Uh, Winning their first six games, they lose a tight one down in Daytona Beach to Delaware. The Blue Hens get them 83-80. They bounce back in the ACC Big Ten Challenge and take care of Pitt. Lose at Indiana, who has been outstanding this year. Uh, they beat Rutgers. Remember when Rutgers was the power for a stretch, right? Uh, they beat Butler 65-63. Then lose to Missouri. Excuse me, they beat Missouri at Missouri and Columbia. Pardon me, by 10. That puts together a, uh, let's see, a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven game winning streak. That, they see that snap at Ohio State, 87-81, competitive game. Knock off Minnesota, lose to Indiana again, this time at home uh, by 11. They win at Northwestern. They lose to Purdue, beat Michigan State, lose at Michigan, 74-57. Uh, one of their biggest losses in the Big Ten this year. They take down Minnesota. They win at Nebraska. They lose at Maryland. Uh, the fighting Chloe Bibby's 82-71. Beat Penn State. Lose to Nebraska at home on senior night, 90-57. to Yeah, how about them apples? And then they go to Rutgers and sweep that series against the Scarlet Knights, 75-53. In the Big Ten tournament, who do they draw? But Rutgers again, and they absolutely annihilate them, 81-55. They lose to Maryland again, 73-58. And we'll now take on your Lady Bulldogs March 15th, Wednesday at the 6 p.m. tip in South Bend, Indiana. Play-in game uh, for the Lady. So it's kind of looking inside the numbers here uh, for the Lady Illini. Again, a quality opponent. You're not, you're not going to get any gimmies this time of year. We're going to have to go out there and play well. We're going to need Jessica Carter to play exceptionally well. Uh, this is a team averaging 75.9 points a game, so nearly 76, allowing just 65. So nearly an 11-point differential between points scored against points allowed. Uh, shooting 46% for the field, being doing really good defensively, just at 40% for opponents. Three-point baskets for them, shooting nearly 38%, which is exceptional in the women's game, allowing just 27 and a half. So they're able to get out and defend the perimeter. We, we're able to make some, enough shots to kind of keep you honest. But uh, you know, we're going to have to win this game in the paint more times than not. Uh, rebounding has been uh, interesting for them. 39 boards a game and an allowing 33. So right at a 5.5.5.6 5.6 uh, differential between rebounding on the plus side for them. Turnovers have been an issue for them, 14.3. And they've, uh, they're forcing 12 turnovers. So they're, you know, giving it up. It's basically a one turnover differential. So it, it kind of works out about the same. You're kind of turning it over as often as you're forcing a turnover. But uh, uh, they've they not been especially good in uh, man-to-man defense or woman-to-woman defense, d- depending on your nomenclature there. 
steals about the same, all runs about the same. And again, you'd expect this, you know, you, you expect the stats to be kind of what they are, right? When you have a team, it's in a play-in game, they're going to be a good quality team, but nothing's going to jump out. Nothing's going to be really gaudy. But uh, Makaira Cook is a straw that stirs a drink for them, 18.2 points per game. Uh, converted 49 three-point baskets out of 140 attempts, an excellent free throw shooter at 88%. Pulling down 102 boards, which is, uh, you know, this is a team that kind of gets after it on the glass, but uh, 102 boards for her. So kind of a good all-around player. 35 steals for her, also 66 turnovers, but has a team-high 121 assists. Uh, Genesis Bryant has played in 30 games, started just over half of them. She's averaging 15.1 points per game. Uh, Dahlia McKenzie, 13.7 points. And then Kendall Bostic, who is probably the player we have to probably shut down the most 10 and a half points for her so four starters four regular starters you know Brent Shoup Hill is another one that's been there some too but uh, Genesis Bryant started 18 out 30 games but uh, four regulars averaging double figures but uh, the big number when you look at Kendall Bostic is 308 rebounds the team has got 1207 she's got 25 percent of the team's rebounds and uh, 50 blocks which leads the team uh, Bryn Shoup-Hill has 19 blocks for second. And uh, outside of that, it's, it's just kind of a potpourri of single digits. But, uh, again, a good post player, which makes Jessica Carter's performance all the more important. But, uh, again, a quality team from a Power 5 conference. We're going to have to go out there and play well. Nobody's going to give it to us. Nor should they. Not this time of year. That's just not how life works. We all know this. And, you know, we're happy to be in it. As we should be. We should be in the dance this year. We knew we felt like we had a tournament team uh, to open the year. And now here we are. But uh, let's look at the bracket here. Of course, uh, South Carolina number one. You know, that, that's not a surprise to anybody, right? They have dominated play throughout the year. And even when they were, you know, supposedly challenged by what shoot that destroyed them. All right. So let's kind of look ahead here at uh, what would be to come if the Lady Bulldogs are able to win a ball game here. And that, that's an important aspect of this. It's just, you know, let's find a way to win a game. So we would be the 11 seed in the Notre Dame pod. So we would take on Creighton if we can get by Illinois. And in the event we advance, we'd play the winner of Notre Dame, Southern Utah. I would suspect it would be Notre Dame. We owe Notre Dame. Do we not? The stakes won't be as high. But, uh, of course, we're in that Greenville quadrant, which means we would ultimately face South Carolina if we advance. But, uh, hey, now that we're here, let's go win a game or two, right? I mean, if we could get through this first week of the tournament, that would be absolutely outstanding. I don't know if we can. Uh, it's difficult to go. And the fact that uh, there's not really neutral sites in many respects on the women's game the first couple rounds. But um, I don't know if we can get to Notre Dame. But, yeah, if, if you can get through Illinois – you, know, you got a fighting chance against Creighton. You know, and of course, you know, once we get through Wednesday's games, we'll we'll kind of have an idea of what things look like on Friday, so we can kind of preview that should we take on the Lady Blue Jays. But more importantly, let's go win a game right now against Illinois. And again, you look at these numbers, you look at the quality of competition they played against. This is not going to be just one of those games you look at and say we can show up and win. We're going to have to go get after it. And again, there's four playing games. Uh, Southern University against Sacred Heart. The, that's the 9 p.m. game. Tennessee Tech against Monmouth. 
Illinois against Mississippi State, and then Purdue against St. John's. And, um, you know, those are all interesting. All four of those. And, again, it adds another level of drama to the tournament to have these play-in games. I know other people are against them. Uh, I think it's added something that's awfully interesting uh, to uh, the NCAA tournament. So uh, best of luck to Coach Sam Purcell and the ladies. You know, beginning of the year, we expected ladies to be in the tournament. Now here we are. So uh, we can't be satisfied, though, we're just hanging another banner, right? We just, hey, we, did, we got back to the tournament. And there was a time in our program's history you'd look at it and say, you know what? Hey, we're, we're thrilled to be in the tournament. We're just happy to be here. You know, I think Vic Schaefer has kind of changed the way we view women's basketball. Again, I do not subscribe to any of this theology that we can't be good at everything. I, just not, it's not me. Maybe you see it differently. I think we have proven in years past that with the right coach, uh, we, can, we can compete in any sport. And I want to be good at everything. And so we look at our NCAA tournament history here. Uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. 12 appearances in school history. And in most of those, we have advanced to the second round. So in order for us to do that, of course, we're going to win a couple of games. So it's kind of become expected that Mississippi State win a game or two in the tournament. And, of course, you had a stretch there, four straight sweet 16s, three elite eights, and two final fours. Uh, 17 to 18, of course, uh, you know, greatest years in Mississippi State women's basketball history. So I don't think we're done adding to this uh, legacy. I think in many respects, because of what Big Schaefer has done here, we have proven that, hey, with the right approach and the right culture – because certainly our fans are going to support the women, that uh, we can do some pretty cool things. And so I think for Sam Purcell to do it this year uh, meets expectations. I think Chris Jans making a tournament this year probably exceeds preseason expectations. But uh, Sam Purcell and the ladies, obviously, with a golden opportunity in front of them uh, to go prove their worthiness. And, again, I think about what, what will Chris Jans and Sam Purcell do with their players? Both of them essentially inherited rosters and then had to kind of work the transfer portal to kind of supplement where they had some deficiencies. But uh, what are they going to look like when they get a couple classes of their players under their belts? That's uh, it's an important aspect of a bit of this. But uh, we're in the dance. And so you've got baseball and basketball to cheer for on Tuesday and Wednesday. And hopefully, hopefully – you got some basketball this weekend on both sides of things. How cool would that be? I'd love to come back here on, uh, on Wednesday and talk about a big win over Pitt and then also look at the women's and say, you know, hey, we get into uh, end of the weekend if we're still playing, we can feel very, very good about the direction. I think we can anyway. I think the trajectory of both the men and the women are very, very good. And so I'm not ready for it just to be baseball season. As much as I love college baseball, and I do, I absolutely love college baseball, I like having all this other activity to go around too. Now, of course, uh, Mississippi State football practice is off this week as we're enjoying spring break in Starkville. I've already seen some of your pictures of spring break. Uh, I'm going to spend my spring break uh, covering college baseball. We'll be down in Biloxi on Tuesday, Wednesday. We'll come home for a day, and then we'll leave for Lexington. And uh, your good friend and host is going to earn it up there. We're planning a camp, right? And I see the temperatures are going to be uh, around freezing overnight. That's okay. I'm tough. I've been through worse than that. 
And if it gets to be too bad, we'll go to a hotel room. We just wanted to camp and kind of enjoy uh, being out in nature. But uh, we're certainly going to earn it. And uh, got a new sleeping bag uh, this week just for the trip. So if you if you see that I am a little uh, less than spry on Saturday and Sunday morning, if you're in Lexington, you'll understand why. But uh, be that as it may, hope you enjoy your spring break wherever you are and wherever you choose to spend it. But if you're in town, we encourage, as always, go by Bulldog Record Company uh, and celebrate Mississippi State Athletics when you're in town. All right, time for the final segment of the show, brought to you, as always, by Portico. I've told you guys many times before, if I was moving to Starkville, I would move to Portico. I would love to be that close to campus, 1.1 miles away from all things Bulldog, but also closely tucked away in a little neighborhood there, kind of snuggled up in a neighborhood where I have the privacy, but also the convenience of being close to campus. It's a super cool thing. You can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath home, go all the way up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home, and anything in between. If you need a custom build, they can accommodate you with that too. Uh, phase one's completely sold out. So if you were thinking about jumping aboard then, you can. But phase two, under development now, some of those homes still available for purchase. And maybe you're not in a big hurry and say, Steve, we want to take our time. We want to do it exactly the way we want it. You can let them know because it doesn't have to be a cookie cutter experience, right? Say, hey, this is what we want to do. You can pick out your lot, pick out a housing plan, have some say in how your new home is built. Whether it be your primary residence or a weekend getaway, your ballgame weekend retreat, It'd be great to have a place in Starkville. And there's so many people that I know, friends of mine, that say, hey, we have a place in Starkville. And they say it with such pride. And so if you can afford to do that, or maybe perhaps just move up here into the Golden Triangle and be part of everything, we'd love to have you as our neighbor. Give Brooks Bryan a call today at 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. Brooks got some great Mississippi State baseball stories. You know, he wore a uniform represented the M over S uh, very well, robbed a home run against the University of Washington to send us to Omaha. I joked with his wife, Beth Bryan, one time about that. I said, you know, he, he caught the uh, caught a home run, robbed a home run. And she goes, oh, I know. We have back a, uh, a, a poster-sized picture in our living room. And you know what? Good for you, Brooks. Uh, what's the point in having some rocks if you can't throw one every once in a while? So you go ahead and flex on them, big Brooks. Go ahead and do it. But uh, make Portico. Your next move. All right, let's spend the last time we have together talking baseball. We'll do a cursory recap uh, of the Lovescomb series. I say that, but then I always remember something that I wanted to share with you guys. But, uh, you know, Bulldog baseball needed a good week last week. We had a good week. I wouldn't call it a great week, even though we went 4-0. and And uh, I understand how baseball works. I mean, it's like no matter how well coached you are, how talented you are, sometimes you run into a pitcher that's going to kind of shut you down. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you're from, how talented you are. At some point, you run into a hot pitcher. And State did in one game last week, and that was the Saturday game uh, against Val, against uh, Lipscomb. Of course, uh, State 10-run rules Valpo on Tuesday. And then we get into the Friday game. And, you know, listen, the story all, all season has been about pitching, right? Defense a little bit, but it's mainly been about pitching. Robbie went and did the research on this, and it's like half of our runs that we've allowed this year have reached base via – a walk, a hit batsman, or an error. I know some of that is simply the game, but we have done it with too high a frequency. We're getting better, but we're still walking too many. We're not walking the ballpark, but we're probably walking the concession stand line, right? All right, so let's jump into uh, the Friday game real quick here. Not a lot of runs scored in this game. And, of course, Gerangelo uh, Sanji starts for us against Michael Duncanberger, who actually originally signed with Chris Simonis at Indiana. 
And then as soon as those guys get on campus for uh, summer workouts, he has to tell them he's leaving. So the very first thing Gerangelo does, he walks Caleb Ketchup, who is an outstanding shortstop for Lipscomb. I tell you, that kid's got a big arm. He really does. And made several plays that really impressed me. Didn't always have the most active feet. But I tell you, when times break down and you've got a big arm, it's a bit of an eraser there. Ketchup then goes to second on a wild pitch. Then we hit Vergara. So all of a sudden, you got runners at first and second. Nobody out. They they bunt, get a sack bunt down, which is the, right, the baseball play here. Now you got two guys in scoring position with less than two outs. And um, uh, Trace Woolhoit flies, flies into a double play. It's pretty crazy how it works out. Uh, we throw the runner out at third, but Ketchup scores. And so it's a one nothing ball game. And uh, the home plate umpire immediately on top of that. I bought him a first. State gets a uh, Colton Ledbetter single on a full count, but we can't do anything with it. So nothing doing for State in the first. A top of second, Gerangelo settles down here a little bit, but we still have a walk. We get a fly out, a strikeout. Then we get a two-out walk, and two-out walks are of the double. Uh, Berg then flies out to right center. So we get out of it, you know, nothing, nothing else but the walk there allowed. Bottom of the second, uh, Hunter Hines gets a one-out double down the right field line. Hunter Hines really starting to pick it up a little bit for us. And Kellum strikes out swinging. Forsyth uh, gets an infield hit here. So we got runners at first and third with two outs. Need the big two-out base hit here. David Marchand steps up, works the count full, and gets a 3-0 count. And then we don't ever get the bat off our shoulder, and we take three consecutive strikes. And so, again, that's part of the maturation process. Marchand's going to be a star at Mississippi State. But this, this was not a good at bat. All right, top of third. Uh, again, we open up with a walk again. And the, the best thing about uh, guys like Gerangelo that can strike people out is, is it's a bit of a, uh, an eraser when you make a mistake there. We get catch up and strike out swinging. Uh, we get Gonzalez out. We pick him off there. And uh, Vigardin strikes out swinging. So we face a minimum in the inning. So we erase the walk with the, uh, with the caught stealing there, the pickoff. But it's still troublesome. You can't keep putting guys on. Bottom of the third, and this is when State really gets going here. And we talk about leadoff walks all the time, right? They walk Amani Larry on four pitches, led better than singles, and they hit Bryce Chance with the pitch. We got bases loaded, nobody out here. Hancock is then hit by the pitch. So now it's like we're, we're kind of getting the benefit here. Like the baseball guys are smiling on us for what we've endured. Ties the ball game. Rice Highfield, who had a huge weekend for Mississippi State, singles to left center, two-run score. It's 3-1 ball game. Uh, Hunter Hines and doubles down the right field line. The last thing that anybody in this conference wants is to see 44 get hot, and he's getting hot. He doubles down the line, two-run score. They make a pitching change here, and then Kellum Clark lines out. I mean, absolutely blisters this baseball right at the second baseman. He hits it two feet either way. Uh, it's going to be more runs for the Bulldogs. And then Forsyth grounds out. Mershon strikes out looking again, but he works it full again. He is going to be a great player at State. A couple of bad bats early in this ballgame. But uh, it's 5-1 to one now after three. Uh, so, Gerangelo goes back out there with some cushion to work with, gives up a leadoff single, and then we walk another hitter. We get a ground out here, and then a K, and then we walk to load the bases. And fortunately, Berg, who is hitting like 100, flies out to right field. You know, there's a reason he's hitting down in the order. So, even though we had some traffic on the bases, we're able to navigate through this, and it kind of worked out good that it was the bottom third of the order taking the big hacks late. It couldn't do anything with it. Bottom of four... Uh, we get a two-out walk to Bryce Chance here, but can't do anything with it. Hancock grounds out to the pitcher. Top of five, Gerangelo, a one-two-three inning here. A K swing and a line out to short and a fly out to center field. Uh, bottom of five, State goes one-two-three. Uh, top of six, 
Lundgren's hit by the pitch. We, we have just got to find a way to get that first out. And then rather than fold, uh, Gerangelo strikes out the side and strands a guy at first base. So it's 5-1 going to the bottom of six. State's able to tack on a lead here. Lane Forsyth with a leadoff double here. And Lane continues to swing a good bat, and he's playing good defense. Uh, Mershon gets a sack bunt down. That is the smart baseball play. We're going to get that runner to third and give him a chance to score. We're trying to tack on an insurance run. A lot of people feel like, hey, when there's a guy at second, let's just swing away here. But uh, I think under these circumstances, considering how runs have been difficult to come by here, uh, let's make a play here. Uh, so we get the bunt down. We nearly beat it out. They call him out. They review it, and it stands. And then Amani Larry with a sack fly RBI drives in the run, led better strikes out swinging. And that just, again, kind of proves positive how important it was to get that run to third. Now it's a 6-1 ball game. We bring in Evan Sieri, and Evan had a tough outing out at Frisco. It's good to see him bounce back. He is a strike thrower, and it's kind of an anomaly with him. He has been a strike thrower all year, just had one bad outing. Uh, out there in Frisco, comes in, gets a one, two, three inning, uh, a strikeout to end the frame. Bottom of seven, state tax on a couple more. And again, a leadoff walk. They, they change pitchers here, bring in Giles in favor of Mitchell, and he walks the first guy on four pitches, Bryce Chance. Hancock strikes out looking. Highfield then flies out up the middle. And Hunter Hines, a two-run tank to make it a one. Kellum then uh, flies out on the full count. But it's now an eight-one ball game, headed to the eighth. And then Sierra hits catch up with the pitch. Maybe catch-up's crowding to play. Maybe he's just a savvy ball player. He goes second on a pass ball, then uh, Vergara singles, and catch-up comes around to score an unearned run there. We get longer in the K. Will Hart flies out, and then Kelly flies out. So it's 8-2, bottom of 8. Uh, State, again, threatened here. A bit of a two-out rally. Uh, Forsyth flies out to left. Mershine grounds out to second. Larry walks on a full count. And I like a guy, even in this situation here. It's like, I'm not going to chase something, even in a six-run game, in the eighth. I mean, any run's a good run, right? Ledbetter than singles back up the box. It's good to see him start getting going again. People are pitching him a little bit different these days. And then Bryce Chance on a fielder's choice. Uh, again, we've got some things going here. And uh, Luke comes up with a chance to really blow the game up. We know we had some separation. We could really put it away here. And uh, it's a fly out to center field. So we had to the ninth with a six-run cushion. We'll leave Sierra in the ball game, And this was so significant because – you had two games left to play. If you can navigate to the first one and get a W with just using two pitchers, uh, that's very significant. Leadoff single, and then we get a double play, and then Berg gets one of his five hits on the year, uh, a single in the right field. They pinch hit, and we get a K swinging to uh, to end the game. So eight to two ball game on Friday, and uh, I thought we played pretty well. I mean, you know, you look at the numbers again. The free passes are just simply too high. We allow we two runs on four hits. Did not make an error. We scored eight on nine hits. But, uh, you know, there's going to be some up and down with freshmen. Now, the good the good thing I would say is Sierra did not walk a hitter. Struck out three and three innings pitched. Gerangelo, five walks, eight Ks, also had a wild pitch and two hit by pitches. So, total, we issued eight free passes in this ball game. Uh, that's not going to work in SEC play. It's not. It's just not, that's not going to work. I mean, you don't need me to tell you that. Uh, but we've got to stop letting the leadoff guy get on. And if he is going to get on, he's got to hit his way on. We cannot continue uh, to give those guys a free pass, especially down in the order when you have guys that can't hurt you anyway. You need to go out there and challenge them, make them compete. Our right, game two, which was actually the first game of a doubleheader on Saturday, we elect to move this game into uh, 
a Saturday because of advance of weather on Sunday. And uh, it didn't rain as much as I think they forecasted, but I was kind of glad to get it done because we did win. So let's take a quick look at the ball game here. Uh, we elected to throw Landon Gartman, our regular Sunday starter in game one. And, and I agree with that because I think, and I asked Chris Lamonis this in game, had we had some separation in this game, you probably saved Nate and let Nate pitch as a starter in game three. But we didn't get separation, and we had to bring him in with the lead late, and we'll get to that later in the ballgame in our recap. But, uh, you know, Landon Gartman, my goodness, man, he started four games. We've won all four of them. His record's 1-0. and You know, it's just like he's putting us in a position to win. But, unfortunately, we seem to allow the tying run to come up once he's left the ballgame. All right, top of one, Gartman, one, two, three, inning, gets a couple Ks. Bottom one, state goes one, two, three. Uh, Gartman doing again in a second, one, two, three there. Bottom of second, state gets a single to open up and break up a no-hitter there. The hind strikes out swinging. Uh, DJ reaches on the fielder's choice. They force a runner at second. And Kellum Clark singles to the right side. And the throw gets loose at third. We elect to send him. I disagreed with the call at the time early in ball games like that. I think you want to continue to put pressure on the pitcher here. And it did feel like, even though this Tucker kid was an experienced guy, that we had him on the ropes a little bit. We kind of let him off the hook here. And Jordan is thrown out at right. And listen, uh, Cheese can wear it, right? I mean, Cheese is a grown man. The bottom line is uh, Dakota Jordan may wake up and think it's a little league play or a trip play or whatever. That just doesn't happen in college baseball. Third base coach has got to step in there and make sure we make the right call. I didn't think it was the right call. Uh, love cheese to death, but I would not have sent him. And I don't know that cheese sent him. I mean, you know, maybe Dakota just reacts, right? I mean, it's just what you do. But either way, the last out of the ending is at home. Never a proponent of that. All right, top of third, the perfect game ends for Landon Gartman here in the third. We get to ground that. We walk Berg. And, again, Berg is a guy that can't hurt you. I mean, honestly. I mean, you could pull somebody out of stands and nearly have that same level of production. He's a good defensive catcher, but he's not much to play. Uh, we get Gerbic to strike out, swing, and catch up grounds out. So, you know, we work around the one-out walk there. And at this point, uh, it's no hits through three innings. State gets on the board here in the bottom third. Could have and probably should have been a much bigger inning. Forsyth grounds out to open the frame. And Mershana reaches on a third throwing error. And then still second, goes to third on a throwing error too. See, it doesn't just happen to us. Uh, Amani Larry singles, driving, and Mershon makes it a one nothing ball game. Larry then goes to second on a wild pitch. Ledbetter walks. And we, we talk about pressure, 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 pressure. Ledbetter then still second. They walk Bryce Chance. They walk Luke Hancock. Forcing it run makes it 2 nothing. And then Hines, again with the bases loaded here, a chance to break it open. Swings on the first pitch. And, uh, you know, we end up uh, grounding out here. And uh, then DJ strikes out swinging. Lengthy at bat here. And uh, the thing that I go back to, he got down 0-2 in here, but he did recognize some breaking stuff, and he's able to kind of cap that stuff foul. And uh, back-to-back fouls, works it to a 2-2 count, fouls another one away, and then strikes out swinging. And so while we didn't didn't cash in here, I thought his approach at the plate was pretty good. Uh, We just didn't cash in. And uh, sometimes I think maybe we're asking too much of him too early and maybe I'm wrong but uh, we'll see I, I, he's going to be a first round draft pick someday he's going to have a great career here at Mississippi State but uh, I'm a firm believer in playing your best players I think he is our best, one of our better players and uh, he needs ABs maybe you drop him down in the order and we've done that a little bit and maybe you give him a day off each week and we've done that a little bit so I think maybe we're handling him pretty well I think it's just a matter of time before he responds alright top of four the game gets a little bit interesting here again 
would give up a single to left, line out to left, and a single back up to middle. So we've got runners at first and second, a two-run ball game. And then Austin Kelly, former Diamond Dog, singles to right field to load the bases. We walk Bertolani to walk in a run. So it's like the bases loaded walk, give it. The bases loaded walk, take it. And then Book flies out to left field. It's an RBI sack fly. Game's tied. Berg flies out to center. 2-2 ball game. And it felt like we had dominated the game up to this point. And in the fourth, we, we have some trouble. But Gartman did not relent. They bring in Van Treek, who I, I submit to you is the best pitcher that we have faced all year. A left-hander with a three-pitch mix that can throw in the mid-90s and then change you up in the 70s and can throw that breaking ball for a strike in the high 80s. I thought he was absolutely legit. Worked both sides of the plate, changed speeds. I hope he goes in the portal and we can get him. Uh, Calum Clark with an infield single and Forsyth case looking. Mershon flies out to right center and then Larry grounds out. And so very successful inning for them, kind of keeping the game where it was. Top of five. Gartman gets a 1-2-3 inning. We go 1-2-3 in the fifth, and then Gartman again stacks another 1-2-3 inning in the sixth. Bottom of six, uh, State takes a lead here. Hines grounds out to second, and we bring in Connor Hyzak, the pinch hit for Jordan. And he gets a 1-1 uh, fastball over to left center field wall to give State a 3-2 lead. Kelm Clark and fouls out outside of first. Forsyth strikes out looking. But uh, the fact that Hyzak got to Van Trick I thought was big. And uh, Connor needs more opportunities. It's a big, strong kid. Could be a double-digit home run guy, provided he gets enough ABs. We bring in Nate Dom now in the seventh. I think it's important to go back to, we talked about the trouble we had in the fourth. Um, Landon Gartman retired the last eight Bison hitters he faced. And so he leaves with a lead. We turn it over to Nate, Nate Dome. Bertolani singles down the line. We get a pop-up, a fly-out, and a strikeout. So we give up again a leadoff single, but we're able to get out of it. Bottom seven, State again has a chance. Mershon singles to center. Larry strikes out swinging here. Would have loved to have seen him get a sag bunt down, give us a chance to get an insurance run. Let better than grounds out to the pitcher. And Bryce Chance strikes out swinging. And that's, again, you get your nine-hole hitter on, on base, and you can't move him around, even though he's still second and gets in a scoring position himself. But your one, two, three hitters, we got to do a better job here. We didn't get the ball out of the infield. Two strikeouts here. And, again, give Van Trigg some credit. All right, uh, Nate Dome uh, bounces back in the eighth, gets a one, two, three inning. Bottom of eight, we think we're, uh, you know, again, a chance here uh, you know, with this with the, the Triple H's here. Hancock, Hines, and Hyzak. We don't do anything with it. Hancock, uh, we challenge the play here. If I remember this correctly, yeah, so we were originally called safe, and then they reviewed the play, and I thought Hancock was out in live time, and they ruled that he was. Uh, you know, unfortunate for us. Then Hines strikes out swinging, Hyzak then flies out of the center. All right, top of nine, a chance for us to close this thing out, preserve victory for Landon Gartman. We weren't able to do that. And initially, uh, Trace Woolhoyd hits the ball to center. It's one of those twisting, turning line drives kind of right at the center fielder, and Colton had to turn and run and work his way back and just couldn't make the catch. Uh, they call it a double. It was a difficult play there. They pinch run for the guy. They get a ground out to second, which moves the tie and run to third with less than two outs. We walk Bertolani, which puts a double play in order. They pinch run for him. We get a strikeout of Book looking. And so now you think, okay, we're a pitch away. And then Bird comes up there. And I think if I remember correctly from my numbers, he was three for 35 on a season. So credit Coach Foreman and them for taking a chance here because you've got a guy up there that's not going to put the ball in play and probably not going to get a base hit if he does. 
So they run the U-triple-A play, right? The runner's at first and third. The runner from first breaks, tries to get in a rundown. And Hines realizes what's happening, throws the ball home. Luke has it, goes to make a tag. And on the touch there, the ball rolls loose. The game is tied. Very frustrating. Last thing you want. On the front end of a doubleheader is an extra inning ball game. Kellum Clark says, don't worry, fam, I got you. 2-2 count. He gets a slider away, and he hammers that ball uh, into the right center field bleachers to give State a walk-off win 4-3. So big moment for Kellum Clark. And uh, Kellum is starting to get going. I pulled the numbers earlier. He's 7 for 21 during the five-game winning streak. He's also hit three home runs during that stretch. But, um, you know, the big hero that day was Kellum Clark, 3 for 4 on the day. And the uh, lone RBI, of course, the solo home run. But uh, runs at a premium. Again, give Logan Bantrick a lot of credit. He goes five innings, four hits. Allows a couple runs, strikes out six, didn't walk any. 70 efficient pitches and five innings of work. And he is tagged with the loss. Landon Gartman goes six innings, three hits, two runs allowed, six Ks, two walks, those 91 pitches. And I don't think he really throws hard enough to really hurt himself. A lot of people worry about him elevated pitch counts this time of year. Uh, he's done great. And I think that uh, this is a guy that kind of knows himself well. A lot of change-ups uh, in his delivery. And so it's not a real violent delivery. And so I don't, I don't know that his arm care routine is probably – as extensive as some other guys, but you know he was much better this week than he was last week. He did did not do a good job in Frisco locating strikes. So I remember correctly, 95 pitches and 44 of them were balls. Much better job this go around. And then Nate, Nate the Great, out there to dominate again. Three innings pitch, two hits, allows a one run, and uh, you know it's in, in one walk and three Ks. But uh, you know Nate will tell you, you know. Even though Nate's credited with the win, he wanted to go out there and close the thing out and save it for his buddy, Landon Gartman. But uh, we get the dub. We've got the series. And right now, you're all thinking, just like I was at the time, we got to get a sweep. The weekend's not going to be complete. Because that's what happens when you lose the game three, you lose that Sunday game. It's like it just puts a damper on the whole weekend, right? But you're ungrateful. You're not ungrateful for the other wins. But it's like, you know what? You get an opportunity to sweep anybody. You got to do it. You have to do it. All right. We send out Graham Eintema uh, to start for us. And, uh, you know, right out of the gate, we've got drama. We get a first pitch. We get a, a ground out to the leadoff hitter from catch-up. And it's a walk, a walk, a K-swing. And so you're a pitch away from getting out of it. Instead, Austin Kelly gets a single, drives in a run. So two walks and a single in the inning. Uh, that typically means runs, typically. We get Bertolone to fly out. Bottom of first, they ties it up. Uh, again, Amani Larry hit by the pitch. Ledbetter singles up the middle. We end up uh, going first and third there, and then Ledbetter kind of uh, closes the gap with a stolen base there at second. So you got runners at second and third with nobody out. Bryce Chance strikes out swinging. Hancock grounds out the short, so the run comes home, and then Hines strikes out looking. We've got to be more opportunistic there. You have to be. All right, top of second. Uh, Einstein, a much better job this time. Gets a strikeout. There's a single, a bunt, a bunt single, and then uh, McMillan flies out and catch up flies out. So, uh, no damage done as we pitched around the bunt single there. Uh, bottom of the second, Ross Highfield homers. Makes it a 2-1 ball game in, in the first of three, right? Kellum Clark grounds out the second. Forsyth walks. Mershon flies out the center. Then Larry reaches on a CI. And uh, that ball actually traveled pretty well, like a routine ground ball. But uh, they're calling a CI. I respect the umpires that do as a former catcher. Ledbetter then strikes out swinging on a full count. Again, chance for us to be opportunistic here and get a big hit. We didn't. Top of third, 
Eintema, again, has kind of navigated through his first inning trouble here. Uh, you get, give up a one-out single, but he gets around it too and, uh, you know, gets Will Hyde and Kelly uh, both to go without any, you know, fanfare. At bottom of third, State with back-to-back singles to open the inning here, first and second here. Um, and then Hancock and Chance both move up on a pass ball. So, again, runners to second, third, in scoring position, and we get nothing out of it. Hines strikes out swing and Highfield fouls out to first, and then Kellum flies out to left. That's a lot of power in the lineup right there with two, two birds on the pond, you have two ducks on the pond there in scoring position. You've got to find a way to elevate and get that run home, and we don't. All right, top of four, Eintema cruising, one, two, three inning here. Bottom of four, State's able to tack on it, but again, it could have and should have been a much bigger inning. Uh, Forsyth doubles to open the game, open the inning. Mershon walks a very lengthy at bat. He worked the count here, and this is a true base on balls. Then Larry gets a sag bunt down. So once again, State has runners at second, third, and less than two outs. They walk Ledbetter to load the bases after to make a pitching change. Chance flies out, sack fly, RBI, makes it 3-1, and then Hancock flies out to center. And so again, Runners in scoring position, we get one from it, but it's just three innings in a row we've had a chance to really have a breakout inning, and we don't. Uh, Eintema, again, probably has earned another start. One, two, three inning here for him in the fifth. Uh, State goes one, two, three in the fifth. And then in the sixth, the wheels kind of came off for us a little bit here. Um, Probably reached the depth of what we could expect, maybe two times through the order with Eintema, maybe the way to go. But uh, Lundgren grounds out the first, and we give up a walk to Woolhide. And then Austin Kelly reaches on a fielder's choice here, and it's an error. It is. Made a mistake here. And then we make a change and bring in Colby Holcomb. We get a ground out to second. Uh, so that's good. It's, you know, we're pitch away from getting out of it. Then we walk Book to get uh, the load of bases. We bring in Davis to face Berg, the guy that can't hit the baseball. And what does he do? He doubles down the third baseline and three runs score. And you look at so much of this as self-inflicted. It's the walks. Like we talked about, Rob, we did the research, and here we are, you know, two walks, come home to score. It doesn't make a lot of sense here. You know, two walks and an error in the inning, and all three score. A guy that's hitting like a, you know, .096 drives in a couple runs here. We're giving Bill on the fly out. So now we're trailing 4-3. It felt like we had dominated this ball game and, again, missed opportunities left and right. And then finally in the sixth, I think we woke up a little bit. Forsyth walks. Mershon gets a sack bunt to move him around, trying to get the tie run around. Larry then walks. Wild pitch. Everybody moves up. Ledbetter walks. Base is loaded again. Bryce Chance in singles. Allows a run to score. Ties the ball game. And I called this in the lounge. I said, Luke's fixing a double. He does. Drives in seven runs. They make a pitching change. And Hunter Hines, homer, makes it nine to four. Um, then Heifel homers, makes it ten to four. And uh, been a couple times we've gone back to back this year. That's always nice. Clark strikes out swinging. Forsyth strikes out swinging. But it's now a 10-4 ball game. And it really felt like everything was – the hay was in the barn. Uh, we come back out there. And then we walk, catch up. Again, these leadoff walks. I mean, walks – Anyway, are terrible. Leadoff walks and two-out walks are satanic. Uh, Vergara then grounds out to first, moves the runner to second. We get a line out to short, and we walk. We'll hold again. We throw the ball away here. It's just crazy. 
I mean, this is the kind of stuff. This is the kind of stuff that gets you beat. You wouldn't accept this in a one-run ball game. You can't accept it in a six-run game. We get Austin Kelly to strike out swinging uh, at the end of the top half of the seventh. Uh, bottom of seven, State goes rather quietly. That better works a uh, two-out walk there. But uh, Isaac strikes out swinging to end the inning. A top of eight, uh, Bertolani, we bring in uh, Will Gibbs. He gets a fly out to left. We get a K. We walk Berg. And, uh, again, walking people that can't hit the baseball. I know he got us the inning before. You can't go walk guys that deep in the order. Then McMillan doubles to right center. Uh, life is tough right here. And then catch-up walks. And so we go get Mikey Tapper, or Brock Tapper, excuse me. And uh, Vergara pops up the second. So we get out of it. So, uh, again, a, a chance there with the bases loaded for them to kind of climb back in the ball game. But uh, Brock Tapper, a good job there. Bottom of eight, State gets a little more insurance. Hancock walks. Hines grounds out to second, but Luke goes goes to second. We're going to short there. Then, then Ross Highfield Homers makes a 12-4 ball game. Uh, Clark singles back up the middle. Forsyth uh, flies out to center. And then slid off for pinch hit from Rashawn. He strikes out looking. All right, top of nine. This game is over. It's just a matter of what the final score is going to be. Uh, Lundgren singles to left. Still second. We bring in Casey Hunt. He gets a strikeout swinging, a fly out to left, and a strikeout looking. It's good to see Casey out there throwing strikes. We're going to need him. Like, sometimes guys have a couple bad outings, and some of our fans are like, we just got to move on from this. You know, we get we, – you can't. I mean, you can't. You can't have just a handful of guys carry the weight. We're going to need KC Hunt. We're going to need some of these guys to come in here and pitch good innings for us. And KC's done it before. I mean, this time last year, everybody was begging for KC Hunt to come back, right? KC will be fine. And, uh, you know, how we handle him. And does he go back to the starting rotation? I would say probably not. But that could, that could be a very prominent middle reliever for us. All right. So, we win the ball game. We sweep the weekend. And uh, when it's all said and done, State 4-1 uh, and one on the week, now 11-5 and five overall. And, uh, you know, played pretty good defense throughout the weekend. We didn't on game two, right? Three errors in that ball game. Those are the kind of things you, you can't do it. All right, so we're going to be leaving in the morning and head down to Biloxi. And uh, 6 p.m. first pitch on Tuesday against Nichols. Give you a, just a quick look at uh, these two opponents here. And, uh, of course, on Wednesday we'll talk more in length about uh, Louisiana and then we'll start getting ready for uh, for Lexington. Probably record the uh, Friday show Thursday night for those of you that are we'll – because we'll be traveling that day. So I'll record the show, have it up, go to bed. Uh, but look at Nichols here. Nichols 11-7 and seven overall, 8-3 and three at their place, 3-4 and four away uh, from Thibodeau. Uh, they opened up with a taking three or four games from a Lindenwood, and then they lose at South Alabama in a midweek game. Then they lose two out of three at Louisiana Tech, and they've played really well since then, but the, the level of competition has gone down too. Uh, they take a couple of midweek games against Southeastern Baptist College. Are you familiar with them? Yeah, me either. They win 10-2 and 20 to nothing in seven innings. They take two of three uh, against Memphis down in Thibodeau, and then they take a split a pair of midweek games with Penn, and then take two out of three on the road at Louisiana Monroe. So, you know, competitive team. I mean, and here's the reality of this. You know, we're 10-1 and one against them all time. We lose to them in 18. Remember that dreadful road trip in 18? We'd fired Andy. We're having – every game's on the road because we're having to play away from Duty Noble Field while you're in construction. It was terrible, absolutely terrible. Uh, but a couple guys to kind of look forward to, uh, to seeing. Uh, Zane Washington from them is hitting 344. Uh, is an outfielder, redshirt senior from Terrebonne High School there in Houma, Louisiana. 
Also leads the team with five stolen bases. Uh, Edgar Alvarez, a junior infielder from Boone High School in Orlando, Florida. Big guy, 6'4", 230. Uh, two dingers and 11 ribbies. And this is a team that's hit a few home runs, but they're kind of scattered throughout the lineup, as you guys are well aware. Uh, Parker Kudo's got three home runs. Uh, but Wes Toops, probably akin to Wayne Toops, of Zadico fame down there, uh, leads the team. So seven home runs between those two guys among the team's uh, 13. I have not seen pitching announcements yet. I assume that Bradley Lofton will start for us. You know, we'll see. Uh, I don't know if Nichols will throw a weekend guy against us. I would not. It doesn't make a lot of sense to throw. I mean, they're not going to be. I mean, they're not going to get an at-large bid. So the RPI doesn't matter, right? I mean, what you got to do is be good in your league. You got to win your league if you're Nichols, because you're not going to get an at-large. It's not going to happen. I mean, you know, so you gain nothing uh, from doing that. But um, uh, their weekend guys have been Jacob Myers, Tyler Ther- uh, Tyler Terrio. Devin DeSandro, those guys have uh, have been primarily your weekend guys. So it, it may be a Johnny Holstaff type game. Uh, Josh Mancuso has started a uh, mid uh, midweek game for them, but uh, this is a guy too, a left-hander too. We may see him, senior left-hander from Anderson, Texas, Anderson Shadow High School. So uh, he has started some for them. Uh, let's see, let's see. Uh, Ryan Burt has started a game for them. Uh, Michael Covetto has started a couple games for him and uh, recently worked some in the pen. So, you know, your guess is as good as mine about who they'll throw tomorrow. And then, uh, of course, when we get back together on Wednesday, we'll preview the Louisiana game. But, um, you know, Nichols, listen, the, Louisiana is a baseball crazy state. Maybe you were aware. Maybe you're not. Uh, but it is. And so there's a lot of kids that aren't good enough to play at LSU. So they go to Nickel State, they go to Southeastern, and there are a lot of people that you know, they grow up wanting to be Tigers and just want to play uh, college baseball. But uh, we're going to see some good players. And that doesn't mean I, I expect us to win the ballgame because I believe our offense is good enough to handle anybody's midweek pitching. And it's like that's why that Louisiana Monroe game just absolutely drives me crazy that we allow those guys coming here and knock us around the way we did. But um, – Real quickly, I just want to, you know, kind of give you a quick overview of the league, uh, kind of where we are as uh, as we get into uh, our midweek stuff. You know, looking back at last weekend, you may have seen that uh, Vanderbilt lost to Loyola Marymount. Did you see that? Maybe you didn't. Yeah, a lot has changed since we talked last. You know, Alabama, of course, loses a couple of games to Columbia. Yeah, you know, the Columbia Lions go into Tuscaloosa and take the series. Did you know about this? Did you keep up with that? It, I, I couldn't believe it when I saw it. They, they win the Friday game 10-7 and then absolutely destroy Alabama Sunday pitching 15-3. They lose the middle game. But the Columbia Lions go in there. And, again, I think Alabama has scheduled really light in a non-conference. And uh, this one came back and bit them. It, it really did. But uh, – yeah, we, we won ours, and uh, you know, Vanderbilt now uh, has the same number of losses as Mississippi State, 12-5. and five. We're 11-5, and five, they're 12-5. and five. And uh, you keep winning, other people will catch you, right? That's what you want. But uh, it's so interesting to me you know, to look at some of these schedules in hindsight because people, like, you're only acutely of what happens with you, right? You don't really keep up with everybody else, but – Vanderbilt had their hands full with Loyola Marymount. 
So Vandy wins Friday 2-1 and then 2-0 on Saturday. And then they get beat 9-6. Offensively, this Vandy team has got question marks. I'm telling you now. I'm telling you now. The fact that you only score two runs against Evansville midweek pitching, that's an issue, man. I'm telling you, Vandy, when, they, when Vandy comes in here, they're going to pitch it pretty well. They're, they're going to have a tough time scoring unless we give it to them. But it's all very interesting. And, uh, again, you know, South Carolina 16-1 overall, Kentucky 14-2. and uh, we'll, we'll, of course, preview Kentucky later in the week. Florida 15-3. and Tennessee 14-3. and Missouri 12-3. and Georgia 12-4. And, and Vanderbilt 12-5. and so Vanderbilt now has lost uh, the most games in the East. We've lost most games in the West, but I'm not going to beat us up. We won all four last week. LSU 15 and one, Alabama now 15 and two, Ole Miss 14 and two, Arkansas 13 and two, Auburn 12 and three, Tennessee 12 and four, and Mississippi State 11 and five. Let me just go ahead and tell you this: uh, unless you just have a dreadful record in a non-conference, we don't know anything about your team yet. We think we do, but we don't. You know, we're going to start separating the wheat from the tares this weekend. As SEC play starts, and we'll again preview that uh, later in the week. But um, going to be an interesting week as people kind of begin to um, you know, kind of put their schedules together. But uh, Tuesday, a busy day in the league. Uh, Presbyterian visits South Carolina, Wofford at Georgia, North Florida at Florida, Lipscomb will make their trip to Tennessee, uh, Indiana at Kentucky, Georgia Tech at Auburn. That could be an interesting midweek game. Belmont's at Vandy. And the way Vandy can't score, maybe Belmont can make a game of it. Ole Miss is at Jacksonville State. Nichols, of course, will play us down in Biloxi. UNLV is at Arkansas. Alabama will visit South Alabama. Watch that one. <laughs> Watch it. <laughs> and New Orleans, the UNO Privateers, of course, part of that controversy this week, you know, Mississippi Valley uh, State that led to an umpire being suspended. And that was the right decision. Uh, Texas A&M will visit Houston. And so busy day on Tuesday – Wednesday, it's a little bit lighter schedule as everybody begins to kind of get their legs under them. That's one thing, too. I don't know I don't know if playing two midweek games is right for us the first week of SEC play. I mean, that, you know, again, I, it is what it is. But uh, uh, Lamar it will be at Missouri. UNLV will be at Arkansas. And then, of course, Louisiana will play us down there in Biloxi. And then uh, things start to get rolling, man. And uh, there will be two series this weekend that start on Thursday. So we'll have a chance to sit home Thursday night. Watch some college baseball. Watch some college basketball. Be a good TV night for us. Ole Miss is at Vandy. That could be interesting. I just I, I like Ole Miss to win the series because I just don't think Vandy can score. And, and you, you hate to say, oh, I hate to see Ole Miss win a road series. Obviously, your rooting interest is Vanderbilt. I just think you know, Vandy has not shown enough offensively at this point to say, you know what, they're going to go challenge this Ole Miss team. I, I think Ole Miss is going to score. Uh, Alabama, of course, will be at Florida. I like Florida to take the series. I think Alabama is a bit of a fraud. I do think they're better than last year, but I think Florida is a much better team. So those two, those two series will get underway on Thursday. We'll do a full preview again on Friday of everybody else. But, uh, yeah, this is when things get sexy, right? You know, this is when you start figuring – the first weekend, you can't tell a whole lot, but this is when it all really begins, kind of gets rolling for us. I'm excited. I'm eager to go to Kentucky. There's only two SEC venues I haven't covered college baseball in, and that's Kentucky and Missouri. I'll knock one of those off. I, sh- I would have done Missouri last year, but we weren't playing well. And I was like, I don't know if I can justify the expenditure to go all the way up there. And, um, you know, people aren't reading the content because we're losing, right? Uh, but we're headed to Lexington. I- I'm eager to get up there and uh, see our friend Nick Mangione, but also, too, have a chance to see the Diamond Dogs. Hopefully take a 
SEC opening weekend series against the Wildcats. That's going to do it for today. If you hadn't done so, go to dogpilethebook.com. You get all my sports books there. That's Dogpile, Flim Flam, Stark Villains, and Alpha Dogs. I have people all the time say, hey, I need to get Flim Flam. I need, well, that's the way to get it. Go, go to that one website, dogpilethebook.com. That's D-A-W-G-P-I-L-E, thebook.com. And you can know all the sports books from there. And Bloomsville Leander always available at uh, Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, BooksMillion.com, or through your local bookstore. Stark Villains gear always available at StarkVillains.com. And always come be a part of our great community at JeansPage.com, the Mississippi State affiliate for 247 Sports. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Here in America, work is in trouble. We've offshored our manufacturing, sent away good jobs, and lost so much ability to make things. American Giant is a company that's pushing back against this tide. They make high-quality clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more right here in the USA. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, promo code STAPLE20.